Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Uplift. Joining me this week is Calvin Robinson to talk everything censorship. Thank you, Calvin, for joining me in studio today. It's a pleasure to have you here. No, it's my pleasure. It's great to be up here. Great, thank you. Um, so do you think that cancel culture is reaching epidemic levels in today's uh, society? Oh, absolutely. It's a great shame. Uh, I was at the Cambridge Union the other day debating reparations. Um, this house thinks we should pay reparations. I was in the opposition, of course, because I don't believe that we owe any reparations to anyone. I don't think the world works in that way. I don't think it's practical, but also I think Great Britain was instrumental in ending the transatlantic slave trade, not just here, but around the world. So it's a good thing uh, that we did and it's not acknowledged. However, the response from the Cambridge students has really blown me away. I'm still thinking about it because they were physically uncomfortable with hearing my point of view. And I think if you turn up to a debate in the second best university in the world, I would expect the intellectual uh, caliber of the students to be in a place where they want to be stretched, they want to be challenged, they want to hear different views to their own. Because when I set up to a debate, I know my own view. I'm not there to listen to myself, I'm there to listen to the opposition. But they weren't, they were squeamish, they were immature, they were childish, they were giggling and, and heckling. Um, one guy stood up and said, point of order, your mum! I'm thinking, these are the future leaders of our country. and. You know, the, the, both student newspapers, the Tab and Varsity, have published articles essentially saying, should we platform these kinds of people? They're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable, and they want to silent dis silence dissent. And that's, if that's happening in our elite establishments, that's happening all across the country. And it's a great shame, because if we can't debate contested issues like this, and we are only allowed to accept one approved narrative, then we are heading towards a totalitarian kind of eerie society. Yeah, it's very worrying as well because they're college students, they're, they sound like children. Yeah, yeah. one of them said, we are Cambridge students, we don't need a history lesson. Oh, like, yeah. what? That's literally why you are there. Oh, I'm crazy. The elitism and the entitlement. Oh, it was off the But it's worrying, scale, it is honestly. worrying. Like, that is really worrying. Um, future potential leaders, if that's what people want to describe themselves as. Um, so can you just share more about your own growing up um, and your childhood um, and the battles you face standing up for the truth as well on your journey, please. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, wherever you like to begin. Yeah. <laughs> well, I grew up in a former miners' town, so okay. a market town, Mansfield, Nottinghamshire. Okay. Uh, my dad's side of the family were the f well, one of the first black families in the town. Oh. So that must have had its own challenges for my father's father, but also mm -hmm. for him. Uh, by the time it got down to me, it was more inclusive, but there's still uh, lots of elements of, of genuine racism, mm. which is why I get fed up these days when I hear people say, that's racist, that's racist, that's racist, and I'm like, well, is that really, ra everything isn't racist. I, I know what racism is, I've experienced it. Um, you know, people that lit fire, fireworks through our letterbox, they were racist. People that say, can I touch your hair, because they've never seen hair like mine, that's not racist. Mm. That's a novelty. Um, all this microaggression nonsense is just people stuck in a victimhood mentality. Mm. But yeah, so I grew up in this former miners' town, um, came down, to, well, went down to London for university and stayed. Uh, it was my first experience of multiculturalism and that came with new challenges in that the racism I experienced was no longer from white people, it was now from black people, mm. um, which taught me that anyone can be racist mm. and that's something that I need to shout from the rooftops because there seems to be a false dichotomy in the, going on in the lexicon at the moment that racism is something that is ha happens by white people to ethnic minorities and of course that is not the truth. 
anyone can be racist, anyone can be the victim of racism, and it's always nasty bullying, and it needs mm -hmm. to be clamped out whoever's doing it. Yeah. Um, so I stayed in London. I entered a career in industry before becoming a teacher, before going off to Oxford to train for theology, before getting ordained is the summary of it all. Wow, it's a really nice journey. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that. Um, you know, you mentioned people, like you said, the students uh, last week uh, at the debate and just feeling uncomfortable. And I'm seeing more and more of that online um, and just people, you know, not able to have emotionally difficult conversations. Mm. Um, what would you say to someone, you know, who sees you and talking about abortion, you know, and would say, you know, no uterus, no opinion? Um, what would you say to that? It's just ignorance. I don't mm. think there are any topics where people aren't allowed opinions based on how they look or who they are. Mm. I think that's wrong. Like, I wouldn't say you're not allowed an opinion on race unless you're an ethnic minority, because that would be stupid if we wanted me to come and ground. Everyone has to be involved in the conversation. Yeah. Likewise, I, I don't think there are any topics I would say you can't have an opinion on because you're not a man. Uh, and th but the problem is, child childbirth is not a situation that someone can get into by themselves. It takes two to tango, as the as the phrase goes. So there are two people involved in that conversation, and should be involved all the way through. And that's not to that's not to suggest that men should be getting off the hook. It's the opposite. Men should yeah. be get, getting more responsibility. They should be expected to be involved. And I think this is why a lot of women feel like they're on their own and perhaps feel like abortion is their only option because there isn't a two-way communication going on there. They are isolated because the men aren't stepping up. So mm. men need to be stepping up more and taking part in that conversation. And it's their child too. Mm, exactly. Um, the tech industry has more power over people than we realise. Mm. Um, how, how true... Uh, do you think this is and um, do we re rely on them more often than not? The public square has shifted onto online platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, not exclusively them yeah. but in that area and so the tech moguls, the people that run these, country, these companies essentially run our countries. Um, when we have the leaders of tech companies banning what is, who is supposed to be the leader of the free world mm. from the public square, that's a very very dangerous place to be and I know everyone well, not everyone, but a lot of people think, oh, Trump, orange man, bad, etc. But what if he wasn't? What if he was something that you, someone that you supported? Uh, people should always like, try to put themselves in the opposite perspective. But even if he is a bad guy, he's still the leader, or was the leader of America when that happened. And there are so many other topics that are shut down. And if they could shut down the most powerful people in the world, of course they could shut down little old me and you. Mm. Um, yeah, they are trying to shut down. They, they, they do. Topics like COVID. Uh, we weren't allowed to discuss certain theories because they were seen as conspiracy theories and now we know that they're not and they were probably the most viable uh, truths in that situation. Mm. So it's very dangerous for a small minority to be dictating what we're allowed to talk about and what we're not. Mm. So what should we prioritise then? Protecting um, free uh, speech or stopping offensive and hateful speech? Prioritising free speech. Mm. I'm not a free speech absolutist. I do think okay. there are lines. Um. However, I don't believe in hate speech. I don't know what that means. It's so subjective. And even the laws that have been put into place say things like language that is harmful. Like, how, how can language be harmful? Because you choose to take offence. Often offence isn't given, it's taken. Sometimes yeah. it is given. I, yeah. I get that. But then how, how do you kind of come to the conclusion whether something is harmful or not or offensive or not? And it's so relative. I, d I don't think it's 
helpful to us as human beings to stifle each other's speech. Mm. We should be looking at better ways of, of making people comfortable engaging in difference yeah. of opinion. In England, it is now illegal to pray outside an abortion clinic um, due to the implementation of buffer zones. Um, what have you to say on this? The buffer zones are ridiculous. It goes against freedom of religion. Yeah. I, I saw, uh, I don't know if it got through in the final legislation, but I saw the proposal was that you can't cross yourself within these buffer zones. Mm -hmm. How are you going to restrict someone from crossing? What if, what if they see a hearse coming down the road? Or what if they, mm -hmm. well, it doesn't matter what the reason is, I suppose. If yeah. someone wants to cross themselves, that's part of yeah. their religious freedom. Yeah. I don't like the idea of saying you can't pray in certain areas either, because you can't cut off someone's connection to their God. Mm. And those of us that believe in God believe that he is everywhere and with us everywhere and therefore we want to communicate with him wherever mm. we are. I think it's, it's a wicked piece of legislation that has, has been pushed through under well-intentioned, perhaps well-intentioned, yeah. uh, but misguided ideas. Exactly. Um, but no one's out there, you know, the protesters that go to these abortion centres aren't out there like being hostile. They're, they're, you know, if you're praying for people, it's, it's compassionate, it's supportive. Yeah. People are upset by what's going on and wanting to provide an alternative. They're not being, there's, there's no animosity there. Yeah. So I don't know what the purpose of it is. Yeah, true. Um, do you think that the online safety bill is going to do more harm or good um, in society? Yeah, it's, again, the online safety bill is harmful because it is censorious. And again, it comes from this place of good meaning. Of course, we want children to be protected online. All of us want children to be protected online. The internet is the devil's playground. It's awful. But the answer to that is not let children on the internet unsupervised. Yeah. Don't give children a smartphone. Don't let them have a laptop in their bedroom because it's providing access to strangers to your child's bedroom. Would you let a, ch a stranger go and sleep in your child's bedroom overnight? Of course you wouldn't. So why do you provide them access with smartphones and laptops and, and internet TVs and consoles where that's what's happening? Strangers are coming into your children's bedroom, but not just strangers. You know, when I was an assistant principal, I was a safeguarding officer in my school, and the vast majority of bullying now is cyberbullying. It happens online, it happens on these blooming smart devices that they've got, the tablets and the phones, and it's, they're, they're ripping each other apart when they don't need to have them in the first place. But the online safety, reg reg um, online safety legislation is going to put caps on our speech again, and it's not just for children, it's for adults too and it's going to shut down conversations online. And I think the best approach is what Poland does, is say is actually these, these online companies can't ban people unless they're saying something that breaks the law. So if you're, if you're inciting violence or you're, I don't know, saying something that's already illegal, then you can get banned. But you shouldn't be able to get banned for things that are seen as offensive. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, and what would you say to parents then who are trying to raise their children and teenagers um, and promote the pro-life message. Um, is there any advice that you would share with them uh, during these times? Um, so after my number one advice, which is don't give them a smartphone, and you know parents say, what about safety? Well, give them a dumb phone, give them an old brick Nokia if you want them to have a phone to and from school. Mm. But after that piece of advice, I would say, check what your child is learning. Like speak to your school, engage with your school, because for so long parents have been passing their children off to school and just letting school get on with it. And there's, there's too much trust there because mm. schools are undermining what's being taught at home. They're no longer passing on just knowledge, they're passing on values. And I think the values are the reverse of what a lot of parents would expect them to be. And the curriculum has been infiltrated up and down the country. And people often say, oh, not in my, my child's fire, my child's school's great. But how do you know? Okay. Check. Just do, you owe it to your child to check what they're being taught. Mm -hmm. And if you find that the school is, uh, 
obfuscating that and not letting you know what's being taught, uh, putting up boundaries or talking about copyright or something like that, yeah. then you know that they've got something to hide. So what would you say to church leaders who are afraid to speak out or not put their head above the pulpits uh, in order to protect the sanctity of life? Well, then they're not church leaders, are they? Mm. Uh, that was a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> simple. It's just, I despair because if we're talking about bishops,